Apostle Paul to Timothy. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Last November, I came across uh, a passage in Scripture when I was working on the Plans sermon series. And um, so I had wrote some, or written some ideas down about that passage, and I've been waiting for the right time to share it. A couple weeks ago, I thought it was the right time. I even had a different name for the message than the one today. But hopefully, especially with the way I'm dressed, it'll be a little bit more memorable than the one I would have titled it and would have had no reason to wear this. Today I have a reason. And it's a good one. See, the passage I was dealing with was in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19. Maybe you've heard it before. And uh, I have it on the screen for you. It says, So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west, and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Now, you say, okay, what does that mean? I want to tell you that this is a key verse today for us. If you've never read that verse and never understood it, I have to share with you a little bit about what this verse is talking about. You see, a standard is kind of like a flag or a banner that describes or tells whoever's looking at it what that stands for. Like our post offices have a United States flag. It's a United States post office. We have uh, state capitals have the United States flag and then the state flag below them, right? Things like that. So in the military... The flags and musicians went first. But those flags were called standards back then. Now, what's interesting about the warfare back then is the kings fought the battles. They weren't sitting behind desks pushing pencils and giving orders. They valiantly led the troops and were engaged in the conflict. Let me share with you that the image of a king at the time of King David and Saul and all the kings of Israel, they were men of war. They knew how to defend themselves, other people, and to lead with a strong arm. They weren't afraid to go into battle. Now, when a military conflict was about to happen, this is important to note that each legion had a standard that said what was particular about that legion. Some of them might have had maybe a, an eagle, which is a pole with the figure of an eagle at the top made of gold. Something like that. In addition, a legion carried the flag or standards holding a portrait of the emperor. 
or whoever they were fighting for, special flags and possibly that symbol of the eagle or others. They're objects of worship in the official religion of Rome. For this reason, when legionary standards were introduced into Jerusalem under Pontius Pilate, a riot ensued. And Pilate was forced to remove the standards. There are standards for each army. Now, we think of raising the colors as like for a, a, a ball game or something official in terms of uh, military things, but it was a little different back then. I would say a lot different back then. They didn't just raise the colors and they marched along the flag guys at the back. They were number one in line. And there's a reason for this, and it's a very, very good one. You see, the opposing enemy had to know who was coming. And you say, well, if they're engaging in conflict, they know. Not always. Because armies would attack without warning. But they would see who it was by the standard or the flag or the banner that they was going out in front with the musicians. Now you'll read in, in Scripture in several places about this where Israel went out and they all surrendered without a fight. Not because Israel had shown violence toward them, but because they raised the standard and played the sound of the music and the drums to get the attention of that nation or that region or that tribe or city, and the city would know if they don't surrender on Israel's terms, the army was coming. And the king was coming. So either they are ready to fight or they're ready to surrender. <coughs> if they're ready to fight, they gather their own standard and musicians and march out against and they meet in the middle. You go, wait a minute. Musicians meet in the middle? They begin, and then the kings come out and they negotiate terms before the battle starts. It's different than that now, obviously. Some ways they still try to negotiate di diplomatically, but they would negotiate terms and say, "We've come, we want your city." And other kings say, "Well, if we don't give you our city, what are the consequences? Are you going to hold us all prisoner? Are you going to kill us? What are you going to do? What are the terms?" And if they were agreeable, they agreed on terms. If not, the conflict ensued, and the rest happened. But the conflict didn't just ensue. The musicians would then go back into the troops. The king would go back and explain strategy. And then the conflict would ensue. So you might say that this happened really quickly, but it didn't. It was a it took a while for the conflict to start because they wanted to be sure before anybody lost their lives what they were fighting for. Now when the king gave the order, it happened. Without question, they all went into battle. I have to tell you though, our faith is represented real well in that picture. It really is. I'll give you an example. 
This morning we started out by raising the standard of praise, of worship, of singing before God, praising who we love, and that announces to the enemy who's always looking for someone to devour that we stand for God. That's why we do praise and worship. is to let the enemy know who we stand for. And when we stand for that, the enemy begins to say, okay, that's who you belong to. Now I know what the battle is. There is no negotiation on our part or the musician's part or the foot soldiers or the shooters or the archers or the cavalry with the enemy. I will say this again. Do not negotiate with the enemy. Let God do that. Let the king negotiate with the enemy. As a matter of fact, he already did the negotiations on Calvary. He already set up negotiations and said, I defeated you. You are defeated. That's good news, isn't it? But you know what? Our enemy doesn't back down. This world, evil powers, Satan, all his minions, all that stuff that happens, wicked forces in this world, they don't quit. But I'll tell you this, they cannot win because they've already lost. However, they can take little skirmishes to our front door if we let them. Most definitely. The question is, are you going to raise your standard? Are you going to raise your flag, your banner, and start praising God? Or are you going to listen to the enemy negotiate? That's what temptation is. It's the enemy trying to get you to negotiate new ground for your life. Now this military exercise in pre-war conflict has its precedent in the New Testament as well. Now, I don't mean a war broke out, but that there were people in the military who had different roles that we've talked about in some instances. In Matthew, for example, Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10, there's a centurion, a Roman centurion, who has a sick servant. And we pick it up here on the screen, and if you would with me, follow along. It's when Jesus entered Capernaum, that's on the Sea of Galilee, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, as he should, I'll come and heal him. The centurion was over a hundred men. Century, one hundred, centurion. All fits together, right? And so this centurion is not a foot soldier. He's over 100 of them. And so he, a centurion, being over 100, has some authority. Now the centurion, in, and we're going to see this in just a moment, is led by others. So a centurion doesn't decide what the foot soldiers do either. He gets it from higher up and passes the orders on down. It's kind of how it goes. Chain of command, right? Well, the centurion goes to Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll come to your house and I'll heal your servant. And the centurion being a Roman, 
doesn't really believe that a Jew should be in his home. He doesn't think that's appropriate. But he also says that I am not a Jew. I am not clean ritually by your understanding. And he responds this way, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. He's not saying that because he's a bad person. He's saying that because I am not of the Jewish faith. And I am not considered ritually clean. I'm ritually, by your definition, unworthy or unclean. So speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now that's trust right there. I also am a man under authority. Here he says it. I'm a centurion and I get orders from somebody. And I have soldiers under me. Which means I give orders to them. So I receive and I give orders. I have both responsibilities. Hear this. A centurion has the responsibility to receive the order and to transmit the order and carry it out and make sure his men do. If they don't, to mind some men or fix the problem with the men so they will. That's his task. That's his job as a centurion. And he says, I'm under authority. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. Uh, literally under Roman authority or else he's dead. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this. And he does it. Listen to this. He says to my servant, I say, do this and he does it. But my servant is sick. My servant is not well. And I need my servant to be well. Because I care about my servant. Even though he's under my authority, I care very much for him. And Jesus, hearing that, marvels and says to those who followed Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, is it because he says, just say the word, or is it because he understands how Jesus works? When you say it's because he understands how Jesus works, that Jesus doesn't have to go to the battle line. Caesar does not have to come to these hundred foot soldiers and tell them what to do. He tells his kings who tell the governors, who tell the centurions, who tell the foot soldiers. It's an order from Caesar with the same power through the centurion's mouth as if it was directly from Caesar and the foot soldier obeys. He understands that Jesus is not a foot soldier. And how can he tell? Because there are people following him and learning from him. So Jesus has the ability and the centurion has the same ability to give and receive orders. And he realizes that Jesus Himself as a man must have some way of healing that is beyond Himself and through Himself that He is an order for healing. He doesn't know how. He just knows Jesus can and He can say the Word and the work will get done. And so he says, you just give the command to whoever you give it to and let that go down the chain to the person who does the healing in your kingdom and let them heal my servants. You do not have to come to my house, but 
However it happens, you do that. And I trust that you will do that. And Jesus was surprised because he understood that Jesus was not just a single man operating alone. As a matter of fact, we read at the end of the story, he's the, he's the general over it all, right? He, he is. He's the, he's the captain. Of, he's everything. He's the head of the body. He's everything. And uh, I think when you begin to see how this thing works, you begin to see another aspect of the standard and of the soldier. Jesus has a banner. The Roman centurion could not read the banner, did not see it, but it was basically authority over healing, restoration, life, death, and demons. He didn't know what kind of banner that was. He just knew there was one. And rather than running in fear because of the power of Jesus Christ, he trusted it. If your enemy comes against you and their banner is destruction, don't trust it. They're not going to help you. They're not on your side. As I said, when the Israelite forces went against other nations, they came to establish God and His kingdom wherever they went. And if the other countries was willing, they saw it as an opportunity to join forces. You've seen that happen, where the Israelites also wiped out them easily rather than in a conflict. And in some places, they joined. It's interesting to see that because if you don't understand how this all works, you're going to miss the very end thing. In uh, Acts chapter 27, uh, we hear a story. Um, let me give you a little back history here. The Apostle Paul has appealed to Rome. We were talking about it in Sunday school today. Joe was uh, teaching us. And, uh, and he's appealed to Rome. He's gone before Felix and Festus. And now he's going on his way to Rome by boat. And there's a centurion leading a group of soldiers on the boat. Paul tells us how many people are on the boat. There's like 286 people total on the boat. So you got a centurion, a hundred soldiers, and about 174 other people. Some of them prisoners, all headed toward Rome. Pretty large boat for that day and time, wouldn't you say? And it gets in a storm. Gets in a problem. And they start throwing stuff overboard. They cut the lifeboats. Because Paul said, if you don't cut the lifeboats, we're all going to die. So they cut the lifeboats. And pretty soon, they're getting close to the island. And uh, the prisoners are going to be free to roam. And, and as we were talking about in Sunday school, when Joe was saying this, he talked about how that shipwreck and all that mess that was happening was what God was using to increase faith in people. But that notwithstanding, so the boat's about to be shipwrecked, and soldiers decide 
I got an idea. Now, listen. Listen carefully. This is important. The soldiers' plan is on the screen. They, they conspire together, the soldiers do, to kill the prisoners, lest any of them would swim away and escape. Because if they lose a prisoner, it's their neck, right? So the soldiers get this idea. Now, do you think they carry this idea out? What's the next verse say? 43. But the centurion, the centurion, the word but means they wanted to kill him, but because the centurion has authority over those soldiers, he wanted to save Paul, who was a prisoner. He kept the soldiers from their purpose and said, You're not going to do that on my watch. Because if you do that on my watch, then you're for sure going to be off at your head. And he commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to uh, safety or dry ground. To the island. And in that moment when the centurion stopped the soldier from doing what they wanted to do, we hear something for ourselves. Do we not? Well, let's, let's make sure you're on board with me. I'm not Jesus. I'm not even second in command. I'm a soldier. I'm under authority over nobody. But people are in authority over me. Which means the one over me gives a command. And I don't say, okay, you go do this. <laughs> I don't have that. If, if I get the command, i got to do it. I don't get to decide what's right for the situation. The one over me does. And I trust that one over me has gotten away from Jesus. If it's not directly Jesus. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The centurion overruled a hundred men. One guy over a hundred. That's authority. <laughs> they could have all mutinied Said, oh, we're not going to listen to you. This, these prisoners are violent. But the centurion's rule was respected. If you respect the one over you in authority, you will do what they ask without question. Understanding that they know the situation and the higher ups desires better than you do. And that's important in our faith, isn't it? But unfortunately, though, we begin to. Think about ourselves in terms of lone rangers. You ever seen people like that? Mm-hmm. Going against the grain, trying to do things their own way. What do they call those folks? Uh, not only lone rangers, but wild. Uh, wild horses, if you will. But we want our lives to make a difference. We want to matter. <laughs> We want to do more than just eat, sleep, and die as a general labor. Stephen Covey said our life's purpose is to learn, to love, and to leave a legacy. We don't just want to put in time, like it says in Ecclesiastes, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. We don't want that to be all there is. And so we search for significance and purpose and meaning. And whenever... The orders come slow from on high and we try to take the battle out to the enemy. Or we try to figure out the purpose of what God has created and, and what the orders are coming to us for our lives is we try to go and make something happen. 
generally, a soldier who does that in any military installation is considered problematic. Because they're doing things their way and not as a unit. There are four things about a soldier I want to share with you. The first one is they're not a one-man gang. They don't act alone. They don't fight alone. And most importantly, they don't die alone. Second thing, they're not on their own orders. They receive their orders, but they're not from themselves. The third thing, they don't pick the fight. They're sent to it. The fourth thing, they don't choose the enemy target. Although they may have enemies, they don't choose them that they will fight. That comes from higher up. (laughs) Starting to get a little closer to the faith, isn't it? Let me put this a little closer still. We are soldiers. We are not generals. And according to the pecking order, we're a little above the angels in the kingdom of God when we belong to Jesus Christ. The good news is we have a banner over us that reminds us of the call and task of our lives and that the one who called us is a God of love, not of war. A God of peace, love, and fellowship. And that's His standard that He raises above us. That that's what we stand for is harmony and unity and fellowship in the Holy Spirit. It reminds us of the task of our lives is to spread the kingdom and live as a child of God. We have a king who fights with us. Much different than most military conflicts nowadays. And he has told us that the battle belongs to him, that he will engage the battle. You just follow orders and do what's told. We have to wait our orders and nothing more while the battle rages around us. And the worst part about it is, and the best part about it is, in most times the foot soldiers in the Israelite army got one job, and that's to mop up the mess and plunder. (laughs) But here's something that we forget in all of this. When you have someone over a troop, everybody in that troop has different skills. Heaven forbid you go into war without a medic. Got to have a medic. Got to have a radio guy, communications guy. You got to have someone who's sniper material, long range. Got to have your artillery. Got to have your hand to hand combat guys, your uh, mid range combat guys. And guess what? Every last one of them is necessary to be successful if they do their job and not somebody else's and figure out what they should do instead of what they're doing. Paul says. The body needs a foot. The body needs a hand. The body needs an ear and an eye. Does the foot say, because I'm not an eye, that I'm not important? No, we need the foot to get around. Jerry, do we need an eye? You know it you. We do, and you know it too. And we need an ear, and we need another ear, and we need all the parts we got to make the body be the body. But just because the foot says, I want to be a hand, doesn't make it a hand, does it? it still needs to do the task of a foot. It's how it works. So in the body, we all have different functions, but one head 
who's over us all, telling what each part should do to engage the body in what the head says it needs to be doing. I am a soldier. I am not the head. I pray today you realize you are a soldier also awaiting orders or under them from the head. Jesus. This is important. But it's also critical. Do you believe that you are a soldier in the army of God? Are you trying to be more than just a soldier under command? It's not always glamorous. The unsung heroes, nameless faces that give their lives and we don't even know what their role was when they did it. But God's asking us to get in our proper place and await the King's command. You and I are not order givers. This is not a restaurant where we go to have it our way. And there is no guaranteed satisfaction or your money back. But God might say this, Oh, you don't like it my way? Here you can have all your sins back. You can have your promise of eternal damnation back. You really want that? I think not. But if you don't want it the general's way, whose way do you want it? Are you loose cannon? You know why they call them loose cannons? Anybody have any idea? A loose cannon was one that wasn't put together tightly. A well put together shooting material will shoot the direction you aim it. A loose cannon means it doesn't shoot straight. You could destroy us all if you don't follow proper procedure. You could destroy yourself too and people you care about. One of the hardest parts that you had to learn if you ever went to basic and in basic training as a Christian is that we are under orders. And we're not the decision makers, we're the followers. And when they say jump, we say, How am I? We don't say how and why. We just say how high. If something is uh, dirty, paint it. If it's broken, fix it. We're under orders. If it has a badge, salute it. And listen to what it says. Here's what's great about this. As foot soldiers and other infantry, we do not determine our value or our worth to the army. God does. You cannot sit here today and say, God, You can't use me. You don't know how. I'm useless. I'm unworthy. Only God can tell you that. You have no authority to speak into your life the value of your life. You only can tell how you feel about where you're at in your life. Where you are in position where you would like to be. Or how you feel in your circumstances compared to what you think it should be. 
But it doesn't mean that you know your value and your worth as a person or in God's kingdom. You're not looking at the banner, the standard that's raised over you that says you are loved by the Beloved if you think your life has no value, meaning, or purpose. If you think you have no marching orders, you have not yet read that God says you will trample the enemy under your feet. He does not say you will engage and defeat the enemy. He says you will trample them. You will do the plundering. The enemy has been defeated long before any of us were born. We're not engaging the enemy. Our job and task is to find the broken, the lost, the hurting, the outcasts, the wounded. Maybe we're all medics. And maybe some of us are helping to carry those out from the wounded front lines to be treated and loved on and be shown a better way. Maybe that's our task. Maybe that's your task. Yesterday, I mentioned earlier in the introduction of the service that I was in a tournament. I'd never been in a tournament before and I was a little nervous and I was praying yesterday morning before. I went to say, God, I really want to do well. And I said, no, God, I'd rather, I'd rather you do well. It doesn't matter how I do. What I do is what I do. But what you do matters. And that was my prayer before I left the home yesterday. Uh, uh, the home. Our house. And um, so I was driving down Lone Oak Road. The, the tournament was at Stuart Nelson Park, if you're familiar with Paducah. And I was going the most direct route. And I thought, well, I'm a little fatigued, and I was already. Um, so I'm going to get a cup of coffee at Five Star. I'm not promoting Five Star. It's just where I usually get my coffee. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I don't think I want coffee. So I turned off and went down Lakeview towards 62, off of North Friendship. And as I was driving, I thought, well, I'm still tired though. No, I'll get some coffee. I'll go to the five star, I'll get on the interstate, I'll go to exit four, I'll go to one of those five stars. It's the shortest route from here to there, quickest way to get the coffee, and I'll get to the turn and be great. And I'm driving, and I, and I get on 62, and, and all of a sudden, I felt like I was supposed to go to the five star at exit 7, next to the Heartland Church. And I said, well, that's the one I usually go to, but not always. And I'm going, but I really don't want to go to that one. I know people there, and if I go there, then I'm going to get conversation, might be late. All this stuff going through my head. And I'm going closer and closer, and all of a sudden my vehicle just turned in. I'm going, okay, I guess I'm going to this one. But let me tell you this. When I left the home, I said, I don't want coffee. It's important to understand what my desire was in this situation. I don't want coffee. It's going to be 80 degrees. I don't want to be too hot. I got a bunch of water in the car. I'll use water. All the reasons why I don't want coffee. I go into the five star. I grab a sandwich. It says getting coffee. And I got my coffee. And uh, I went up to pay for it, and a guy taps me on the shoulder. He says, man, I missed last night celebrating. 
But if you give me a minute, I'd like you to pray with me. I went, okay. I said, give me a minute. So he said, okay. So I, so I paid for my sandwich and coffee. And as I was going to get my sandwich and the coffee in the middle of the walkway there is a thing selling glow-in-the-dark Eclipse t-shirts. And on the sign it says, Glows in the Dark. And I went, okay. Glow-in-the-dark t-shirt. Okay, whatever. And I, and, I, and I pay for my coffee and my sandwich. And I go back to the guy. And I say, so what can I pray for you for? He says, um, I'm having a tough time. I've, I've done without God so long. I need God. Can you help me? And I said, do you mean... He says, yes, I need Jesus. Will you help me find Him? So right there in Five Star, I led this man to Christ. Amen. And, I, and I walked him over to that T-shirt sign, which I'd just seen. And I said, look at that. He says, yeah, aren't those T-shirts cool? They glow in the dark. I said, no, it says glows in the dark, and now you do too. You glow in the darkness. This world is a dark place. So I pray with him. So I, I'm going, oh, that's a pretty cool t-shirt. I'm looking at the shirt. And he comes back and taps me on the shoulder. Hey, another guy over here. And I'm going, what, what's he want? He said, he wants you to pray for him. <laughs> okay. So I go back over and I said, he says, you want prayer? He says, yeah, man, I missed last night. I wanted to pray last night, but I didn't make it. And I just want prayer. And I said, well, what's going on? He says, well, i got family. I'm kind of far away from God. Uh, we're struggling. And I just want God. So we pray together. And this time, I said, right here? He goes, yeah, right here. Right by the coffee bar. Out loud. In the middle of five star. People around. And I'm praying over this guy. And I finished praying. And he just says, thank you. I think God's in my life again. Thank you so much. I feel so good. And I said, you glow in the dark now too. <laughs> you know, kind of like that, right? But listen to this. As a soldier, under my own orders, I don't want coffee. But I'm not under my own orders in my what I want anymore. If I'm under God's orders, I'm going to go where He sends me and say, it doesn't make any sense. I'm going anyway. And that's what I was saying. God, it must be You driving me in there because I'm not. And I had no idea that that was going to happen, obviously. But could you imagine if I'd have been a soldier as a loose cannon shooting for the first five star or the fourth one down the road? Because there's so many. But there's only one that day where I needed to be. The one I did not choose but was under orders to go to. What would have happened today if I hadn't been under those authority? Ezekiel says their blood would have been on me because I refused the orders. That makes sense. The banner over God is love. He wanted to love them. What's amazing to me though is this: is they know me because of Celebrate Recovery, and that I'm always praying for people there, and so they know the source of where God can be found. And the only way they know that is because the banner is I pray for you. I love God. I have that banner. I belong to Jesus, and I carry it okay, happily. So they know where the enemy can be engaged. Or the army you want to join can be engaged because the banner is raised. The standard is raised high. And so what I'm asking you this morning is are you under submission to authority?
Are you a soldier? Or are you one telling other soldiers what to do, thinking that you're the captain? Or the colonel? Or the chief petty officer? Or what have you? This morning, do you need to get back under the authority of Jesus Christ? Have you told others and have you told Jesus what you will and will not do? I don't want coffee. It can be as simple as that. Or it can be, no, I don't want to talk to that person. No, I don't want to forgive that person. No, I don't want to love that person. No, I don't want to help that person. Who says you get to decide if you're a soldier? First thing you learn in basic training is you don't get to ask why. Or to determine what you do and don't do. They say, you are owned by Uncle Sam. When you see me, you see Uncle Sam. That's kind of like basic training. Well, when you see someone under authority in the kingdom of God, they're saying, I am under the authority of Jesus Christ, not my own. I've been bought with a price. I am a soldier in the army of God, not a captain. I don't get to say what I want or don't want. I can tell God the desires of my heart. He might fulfill them for me. And thank God He loves to. But that's not my call. It's His job to fulfill. It's His job to engage the enemy. My job is just to listen for orders. (laughs) Please don't be a one-man gang. Or march under your own orders anymore. Don't pick the fight. And don't choose which enemies you fight and don't. Once again, are you under submission? Last thing I want to say is this in closing. Paul the Apostle, and I think it's in Isaiah as well, talks about the armor of God. I think I'm losing battery. He talks about the armor of God. And in the armor of God, it means that you wear God's armor. And the last thing that's put on is the helmet of salvation, and then they hand you the sword of faith. Or shield of faith, I'm sorry. The sword is the Word of God. In this scenario, you have put on the armor of God. Truth, righteousness, salvation, peace, love. And when you put the armor on, when it's on you, these things are on your standard. That you stand for those things. Because they're God's armor. They're not your armor, they're God's. That you don't have it unless God puts it on you. Righteousness is a gift from Jesus Christ. Lest anyone should boast. Truth comes from God. Nowhere else. Every man is a liar. Only God remains true, says our word.
all the armor of God. He puts it on, and then he says, All right, get in formation. And I want you to see this picture, if you will, with me. There's this army. You can see it in this color. I don't care what color you prefer. But each person is wearing truth, honesty, salvation, peace. All of the faith. Each of them covered When you see that army, if you are a part of that army, what do you see? Would you not see people lined up in unity for the same purpose, for the same belief, for the same understanding? It matters not what's under the helmet, what it looks like. It matters that the helmet is on the person that the captain said they get to wear that helmet. Right? When the enemy sees that. Why is it that we as soldiers in the army of God think we are unarmored? Think that we're not under marching orders when the enemy has approached. That the standard has already been raised, the banner and the sound of the trumpets have already sounded, and there is no more negotiation. We are engaging in a battle that has already been won We're there for plunder. We're not there to win or lose. It's over already. When we're not under submission, we think we engage the enemy by ourselves. Oh, I'm fighting temptation. I'm fighting the devil. You are not. You're fighting yourself. If you're under the submission of Jesus Christ, He fights the battle. Not you. Again, I ask you, do you need to get back under the authority of Jesus Christ in your life? Are you a soldier? Have you been acting like one or telling God what you do and don't want? Giving orders to God rather than listening for His orders for you? If you have told others and God what you will and will not do for Jesus Christ, the same is akin to mutiny. And I want to tell you something. We are all under mutiny. But the banner over us is also grace. And another chance to get back under orders. This morning... I'm asking you to do that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, You've raised the standard over us that says You love us. That You are King of kings and Lord of lords and none other who comes before You could ever defeat You or oppose You successfully. And yet, sometimes we have the audacity (laughs) to tell You what we will and will not do. And yet, no demon... No devil can do the same. Yet we try. So I'm asking you, Heavenly Father, to remind us that you bought us with a price and we belong to you. That we've been redeemed from darkness. Heavenly Father, we now glow in the dark. In the darkness around this world. 
But Heavenly Father, it's only when we have the armor on and we're marching under Your orders. So help us to get back under submission this morning, be under Your authority, and to go forward, You say. And Heavenly Father, knowing that whatever engages us doesn't see us, but sees You and Your banner over us. And they know they're engaging You, not us. We're not alone. Remind us of that, Heavenly Father. We're not a one-man gang. Our King fights for us. And You are the King and victorious in all. Thank You for that. Give us the courage and confidence to continue to look to You. Amen.